We are in 1 Kings chapter 16, and we'll begin reading in verse 29. We'll jump over into chapter 17 today as we deal primarily with an introduction to Ahab and Elijah, and really the first encounter that they have, and that's found in 1 Kings chapter 16, beginning in verse 29. Remember, we last week we... Looked at the minor kings, you might say, that led up to Ahab. And we'll notice something very different about Ahab than the kings before him. <clears throat> so let's stand and we'll begin reading. First uh, Kings sixteen twenty nine. In the thirty eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty-two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. So <clears throat> it's gotten progressively worse with Ahab. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. In other words, it, it's bad enough. To, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, who, remember, worshipped Yahweh, but worshipped Yahweh in an idolatrous way, right? He pretended to worship Yahweh in forming a new religion. So if that wasn't bad enough, he says that he t- took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So he no pretense now. If he's just worshipping a, a false god right off the bat. Baal, everybody knew that Baal was not Yahweh. Verse 32, And he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah, which is the female counterpart. part. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel, and this would be an example one, one example, we've already seen one example, but here's another example of how bad things were, how bad he was. In his day, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Zegub, Zegub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Sharif, which is east of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Sharif, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. <clears throat> so, maybe seated. So probably, to some degree, that's familiar to you, but we want to look at it uh, and see what's here in, in the context of the a greater book. Um, last week... <clears throat> We saw that we found that there are no unimportant passages. This is not something we learned last week, but just something we reminded ourselves of last week. 
no unimportant passages in the Bible, but with a little meditation, there's much to learn about the Lord, sin, his gracious salvation, even as we read uh, the accounts of these minor kings in the northern tribes, right? Uh, we also saw that the lost might have amazing lives and do great things as these kings, as some of these kings did. I did great things for mankind, or they might sin greatly, but at death, all that matters is what they did with the Lord. All that will be of no avail uh, to, you're either in Christ, you're outside of Christ, and at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. So as we come to the account of Ahab and Elijah, the, the verses here in chapter 16 aren't just introducing Ahab, but as we read, there are setting up why this section gets special attention or probably why Elijah and uh, later Elisha are sent to Ahab and not any of the previous ones. Uh, not that they didn't have some prophets. We know that uh, Jeroboam had a prophet sent to him and, and it happens. There were other prophets. But these two were considered great prophets because something important is going on. And of course, it tells us basically why, and that is uh, the the idolatry has gone from bad to worse, and to a point where now uh, this is it. And, and, and I think that in a sense, a timer is set in rejecting Yahweh altogether. A timer is being set now. God has been graciously sending them morning prophets in the Elijah and Elijah, but um, the time is coming when uh, they are going to be carried off into captivity for their sin if things don't change. Uh, it, Ahab has kind of crossed the line, you might say. <clears throat> because he's not just worshiping Baal along with Yahweh, but uh, he is worshiping him exclusively. And uh, he's probably done that at his wife's instigation as much as anything, because he married uh, a woman who's, you know, Baal's in her name, and uh, they were Baal worshippers, and he marries her and brings her in, in uh, you know, to the kingdom. So what does he think is going to happen? <clears throat> so we've seen how Baal worship has such a strong attraction to the people because in satisfying your basic, basic physical needs, um, you are providing for yourself because the sexual activity was uh, done and it was supposed to stimulate the gods to send rain. So you were having your cake and eat it too. By living completely in a hedonistic lifestyle, you were supposedly providing for your physical needs and food and rain and so forth. And so by being completely self-serving, supposedly they're taking care of themselves. Their very lives were dependent upon satisfying their lust. So you can see why this was such a easy thing for people to fall into. Um, and so in, in engaging in the one, uh, in, in, the, in the one activity, supposedly the rains would come as a Baal was stimulated to do so. But while we might expect a loss to live like that, we certainly want to make sure that that doesn't infiltrate our own thinking. And say, well, you know, obviously, as you know, I would never do anything like this. Well, you can follow suit without, you know, in, in a lot of different ways without actually going this far. And we want to just remind ourselves of that. We can give lip service to God's power. We can pray, testify that we trust only in the Lord. We can pray that God takes care of us and 
you know, maybe in your daily prayers, you, you one of the things you pray for is that God will provide your daily needs today and provide for your family and, and whatever else that might be going on. Um, but live as if he's completely incapable of doing any of that. And, you know, doing whatever it takes to get along in this life, regardless of whether God wants you to, whether it's his will or not. You know, trusting in this world, trusting in human strength and human wisdom and living apart from the will of God. So it's the exact same thing that uh, Ahab's doing here uh, and that the Israelites are doing. Uh, and, but yet we call ourselves Christians, right? And, and it's very easy to fall into. Yeah, yeah it's not maybe uh, gross immorality, but it's the same, in essence, it's the same thing, right, as far as your worship. And so we want to make sure that we always are examining ourselves. You know, it's one thing to say I trust in God, but do I live as if I'm trusting in God? Do I live as if this is where wisdom is found? And I will reject what uh, my friends and relatives say when they're contrary to God's word. Because if you if you don't, you, you've com- you're committing the same sin as they are. Another thing that is reaffirmed here is the importance of who we marry. You know, for instance, you know, Jezebel uh, doesn't really go along with her husband. She seems to lead the way in evil. Her name means Baal is prince, you know, Jezebel. And she's obviously wanted no rival to Baal. Uh, we learned here that she tries to kill all the prophets of Yahweh. Obadiah, who was a prophet that we'll see more of here in the next couple of chapters, he hid a uh, hundred of true prophets uh, by 50 in one cave, 50 in another. And uh, he's known for that. So she, cause she basically puts a death sentence on any other uh, prophet. So you see how this is much worse than even what Jeroboam was doing. Because Jeroboam uh, didn't do, do such a thing. Um, and so it's interesting how we seem so ready to accept the worldly ways of thinking and living as Ahab seems to do here. And uh, and it's easy, again, it's easy for us to do this, to give lip service, but, you know, the fashions of this world, the wisdom of this world, all the attractions of the world, we just assume, you know, we just kind of, it, it becomes what we live for, becomes what kind of guides our life. And, it's not to say that everything out there in our culture is wrong, but we have to examine everything, and it's just something that a Christian can do. Um, and so, here you see the zeal that she has to fight Yahweh tooth and nail, murder his uh, prophets, uh, completely eradicate the, you know, God's the true religion from the land, and the zeal shall do it. She, she's willing to commit murder to do it. Do we have the same zeal to obey and follow the Lord that the world often does, uh, you know, in following whatever they're following? And, and you know, just kind of remind ourselves of this as we read through it. Now, in verse 34, we, if you remember, when we were going through uh, the books of Joshua and Judges, uh, well, Joshua in particular, they, they, uh, when they took Jericho, the, well, that's the only city they took where the Lord just let the walls collapse, right? And perhaps because it was a an obvious testimony to the Lord's power that he would do that, 
he says, let nobody rebuild Jerusalem, or excuse me, uh, Jericho. And if you do, you're going to begin, when you set the, the cornerstone, you're going to uh, lose your a son, and then when you finish building, he said you're going to lose another son. And of course, that's exactly what happens here in uh, this account with uh, Hael of Bethel, who, who built uh, Jericho, rebuilds Jericho, and and he loses two sons in the process. And so the Lord has this kind of a standing memorial uh, of his power and what he did with Jericho and how he delivered the Israelites. And I don't want you to, to touch this. This is going to be a standing memorial. And uh, But Ahab evidently feels like, well, this is militarily speaking, this is good for our defense. It's right there on, on the Jordan River. We need to build this back up. This is what it was used for earlier. This is what we're going to need to do it. But the problem is God said no. If you needed that city to protect yourselves, the Lord would have let them have that city. But but the fact that the Lord is saying, I'm enough. I take care of you. Look, it didn't do the Canaanites any good. Why, is it, why do you think it's going to do you any good? But it doesn't matter. So they, they feel like they've got to have it. Ahab you know, doesn't want any leftover memorials of God's. Uh, grace, or that he judges idolaters. You know, that's probably, that might have been the biggest motivation. This, everybody knew what happened there, and Ahab doesn't want that. So he commissions Hiel to do this. <clears throat> but, um, and, and again, that's one, another reason why Ahab is, uh, set in his sin further and more so than all the ones who came before him, because even Jeroboam and these other kings, Never dared to rebuild uh, Jericho. Remember, Omni reigned for uh, Ahab's father reigned for twelve years, and had a great, a very kind of led the nation to be as powerful as it ever was. And yet, even he didn't do that, right? <clears throat> so, yet the Lord will have His memorial. He doesn't have it in a city that has collapsed, but He's got it in two gravestones of two children that were. Uh, lost their lives because their father disobeyed the Lord. So the memorial's still there, right? But it would have been so much better to have left it to be the way God said to do it. Well, that brings us to chapter 17. And here, Elijah predicts a drought. Um, I, I don't know if you want to use the word predict. He, there's maybe some difference of opinion about whether it was his idea not uh, because the Lord... He, Deuteronomy, we know that uh, it's uh, drought is one of the ways God would uh, punish Israel if they abandoned him, if they didn't keep covenant. So there's a possibility that Elijah just started praying that, Lord, I, I want there to be a famine in the land so this people would uh, do right. And the Lord, I think the Lord obviously you know, okayed it because the Lord brings, takes care of him there and all that. But and, and the Lord might have just told him, okay, look, this is what I'm going to do. I want you to go and tell the king. But remember, see here in a moment, James uses Elijah's prayer for no rain as an example of effective prayer. So, you know, if, if God wasn't was just going to do it, Elijah wouldn't have to pray for it. But Elijah prays for it and God answers it. So there, there's reason to suspect that perhaps He's, he initiates this, and that's why this is 
what we'll find is that Elijah is seen as performing seven miracles. Elisha will come along, his uh, uh, protege, you might say, and he asks the Lord to give him a double portion, and he will uh, perform 14 miracles. So that's one way the Lord doubles it that. And so this is one of them. And so, again, if, if this is really so much to be seen as the Lord's doing, although obviously the Lord does this, but as Elijah instigated and bringing it about, and that seems to be what's going on here. Um, so there's, there's going to be consequences to dishonoring the Lord. In, in, uh, in Deuteronomy, as I said, it, we've, we've read this. We'll, we'll see it here in just a moment again, where the Lord promises to shut up the heavens with rain if you uh, don't uh, honor him as you should. And so uh, this is what we expect to happen. And, and so what we're seeing here is a kind of a new age of prophets. There's always been prophets around, but when God is about to do a great work and great change is going to come up, up, around upon them, there's a there's there's something special, and here we have the second time in Israel's history where we have this a, a lot of miracles taking place. We saw the first one, of course, with Moses, now with Elijah and Elisha, and then of course the next time will be with uh, the Lord when He institutes a new covenant. So it was a time of change. It was God uh, was saying that a line has been crossed, and uh, I'm going to give you a. a Two, two great prophets to warn you. I'm going to let them do marvelous um, works, uh, exa- uh, miracles, so that when and if you uh, just choose not to obey them, it's no one's fault but your own. You know, and, and so the Lord's been very gracious in sending these two prophets to uh, begin this process. And so you can imagine that Elijah's name means Yahweh is God. And so you can Here's Ahab, he's going about his business one day, and uh, his uh, court official announces, Yahweh is God is here. You know, and Ahab must have cringed when he heard that. You know, it's like his conscience, no doubt, probably uh, pricked him a little bit. And so Elijah shows up and uh, performs this miracle of saying that, I'm, I'm, uh, at my word, there will be uh, no rain. Until I pray that it comes back, you know. And, and of course, he's doing this under the, the, the will of God, no doubt. Just, Elijah just hasn't decided to do this. Um, but it's funny. So Elijah sees the sin, and he's no doubt he doesn't like to see this. He's, you know, just like we see in our country, you don't like to see what's happening to your country. And even so, with the lot with Israel, you think about they've rejected. Everything that they are, their whole identity is wrapped up in Yahweh and the covenant. And so, it's funny though, he doesn't do what a lot of preachers have been doing for really decades, if not generations. As they see America, you know, they see sin in America and things going on, and of course, it's true in any country. Um, they pray that God would bless America. Well, why do we pray that God would bless America with a good economy, uh, with good weather, with, uh, you know, all the, the great inventions and, and scientific development, 
you know, that, that we see here in America. Elijah doesn't pray for any of that. He doesn't pray that God would feed people, uh, would give them whatever they need, a lot of possessions. He's, he's, he'd rather these people be miserable than to disobey the Lord comfortably. So he doesn't pray for peace. He doesn't pray for health. He prays for misery. He prays for famine. He prays for death. He prays for, that something would happen that would cause revival in, in God's people. Which, of course, it does not happen. But we know, in, in one sense it does, because we know that there were at least 7,000 men, not to mention, you know, wives and family, who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So God was active saving people, but they were in uh, the, the minority by far. And so he's about to become very unpopular in Israel. But he would rather have God smile upon him and, and rather have a conscience that said, you know what, I did what I could to, to get people to repent. And that's just a great example for us. Um, and the Lord took care of him. You know, he said, well, you know, if I stand up, I want to try to lose my job. Well, so what? You would be the first person to lose your job. And the Lord will give you another one. And you say, well, yeah, but it won't be this nice. Well, so what? You know, that's the way it goes. You would be the first one where you, or you had to reduce your standard of living. Elijah, uh, you know, whatever he was doing, uh, all of a sudden now for the next three and a half years, he is sitting by a brook by himself, uh, being fed by birds and drinking water. Uh, that's all he had. So let's be careful about thinking that, well, I just, I, I it goes back to what we said before. It's a form of idolatry when I say, I can't afford to lose what I have. Well, you're going to die and lose it. And uh, Jesus says, if, if you don't walk away from those things, he told the, the rich young ruler, you know, sell it all. Because if you're not willing to do so, then you have no part in Christ. And, and so, you know, I just such a, a great example here. And James uses... Uh, this prayer to teach us uh, his prayer uh, that Elijah does about stopping rain to teach us about prayer that when we pray in God's will we, and we do so fervently and, and we do so uh, with the right motivations God's going to answer that and, and that's 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 how God works is powerful it's not that Elijah in and of himself was able to produce a famine but God's people, when they get serious about God's work and about the sin in their lives and about their families and about their church and they're praying for it, um, then, then that's when God will work. And if we're not a praying church, then uh, we, we can't expect God to, to work. And it's not that it's up to us as such, but that's how God, that's the means that God has ordained. He, he will not have his people blessed spiritually, if they don't ask for it, if they don't work towards it, and so forth. And I think we see some of that here. <clears throat> and so he merely is praying the covenant curses would come down upon people for breaking the covenant stipulations. Of course, Deuteronomy eleven sixteen, God says, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. So your heart's been deceived. You think you've got to have this. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. So, yes, yeah, a land flowing with milk and honey, but that can change. You 
you're not thankful for it, if you don't realize who gave it to you, if you don't realize the purpose that God gave you what you have is to serve and honor him, you can take it away just as easily. And, uh, well, yeah, we don't live under this particular covenant, but it's kind of a, uh, that, that, that whole uh, motif is kind of seen throughout the Bible that when we dishonor the Lord, it's not going to be good for us. And only those who honor the Lord can expect for things to turn out right and, and for God to bless them, especially in a spiritual way. <clears throat> so he also states that there are no coincidences. He makes sure that the people understand that this is not a coincidence because he says it will start at my command and it will end at my command. And so it's not like this, well, I'm going to take advantage of the weather weather patterns right now. Now, This is obviously going to be from the Lord. You know, many think that, that prayer and faith is kind of visualizing what you want and you want it bad enough until the Lord gives it to you. But faith is based upon the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. So when we act and when we pray, if we're doing so based on what the word teaches us to do, that is living in faith. It is not just hoping that something's going to happen. And so there's irony also here in much like when we studied the uh, great plagues of Moses in Egypt. Remember all those plagues spoke against a particular God that the Egyptians trusted in. And rain, of course, Baal was the rain God. He he was a fertility God, but rain is what brought life to the land. So without rain, everything died. So it kind of went hand in hand. And by attacking rain, by drying up rain, he's attacking Baal specifically. And uh, there's a Canaanite coin uh, in their mythology, whoops. it says, Now Baal will begin the rainy season, the season of Wadis in, in flood. And, and Wadis were uh, the, the, the drainage basins and dry riverbeds were you when know, the rains came. And he will sound his voice in the clouds, flash his lightning through the earth. So, well, the, what's wrong with this poem? Well, if, if Yahweh was where Baal is, it'd be fine. Right? But they're giving... Baal credit for what only Yahweh can do, and uh, that's the whole problem. And so, uh, what we'll see here in, in a couple of chapters is Elijah is going to confront the prophets of Baal. Remember, that it's, just, it's one of the great chapters in the Bible where uh, they put a sacrifice out there. They say that whoever sends a fire down, rains fire down and takes this offering, is the true God. And so, and even that's not going to change the hearts of people. But um, God is preparing his means to judge uh, Israel and giving them every opportunity to repent and to do what's right. Uh, you know, many think, as we see Elijah and later Elisha confronting the kings and confronting Israel, we're reminded that many think that uh, our faith is to be private. And it, I think we said that last year, that anyone who thinks that your faith is private that don't believe, doesn't believe that they're, that Christ died for sinners and that they need salvation and need to hear the gospel, right? But there are plenty of religious people who think that you should keep 
your religion to yourself. Don't preach to me. Don't try to evangelize me. And, and not just uh, lost people, but there's plenty of people who call themselves Christians who think that. They say, you know, if it helps you personally, fine, but that's internal. It's for you. And, of course, we're kind of seeing that a reputation of that in First Corinthians 15. We're, we're, we're seeing the, that uh, salvation. Christianity is much more than just a internal self-help thing, right? It has to do with uh, the uh, salvation of sinners. But evidently, plenty of so-called Christians think this as well, since, again, going back to, to not just pointing the finger at the obvious people who practice this, the lost or the, or the liberals or whoever, but even real Christians can practice this. You say, well, I, I don't believe that Christianity is to, to uh, only be personal. You should never say anything. But when we leave the building, we never talk to anyone about the Lord. We don't ever bring the subject up. Uh, I think, I suspect there are, I feel like I've known some, not anybody here, but in my years, who are members of churches, who I suspect, based on everything I could see about them, that when they left the church until the next week, uh, they never prayed. I don't think they ever prayed to the Lord. Because there's no evidence that they even, they knew how to pray, really. If you ask them to pray, it's like, oh, you know, they, it's like you, you know, you ask to do something that they had no idea we were talking about. And well, is that kind of the same thing? Is you know, you, you, we're people that that have been saved by the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We're praying people. We are we're people who are, are do things for the Lord. Speak to people. We 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 know that the Lord is the only one who can help us. So if you're not praying. Who are you trusting in? Who are you asking for help, you see? So, again, it's easy to look at these people and think how bad they are, but be careful that we don't really do this, end up doing the same thing. Elijah knew he was in a war uh, with those who uh, worship Baal. And uh, we have to remember that there's only two kinds of people on this earth, those who are in Christ, those who are not. Uh, the two different there's, there's the prince and power of the air and there's the true God uh, and and you're worshiping one or the other but but if you're trying to worship both it doesn't work that well I was reading about back when Lincoln was uh, in the White House in it was 19, 1862 so the war was already going on and um, there his son Tad was young and he had a cousin there I think he was a girl and she, a cousin about his age. And he held up a picture of his dad and said, this is the President of the United States. And the cousin who was from Kentucky said, no, that's not the President of the United States. Uh, Jeff Davis is. And that's the, that's the President. You know, so, because in her mind, that, that's who the true President was. And so they kind of argued a little bit about it. But the, the point is, who's your President? Who's your God? The world's telling us who their God is. But we said, no, no, that's not the true God. Here's the true God. And uh, not to be ashamed of that. So either we're proclaiming this or we're proclaiming that he's not. I mean, there's no middle ground. Because if you are never open your mouth and people don't know who you are as a Christian, uh, then you're just uh, 
promoting the idea that there's that, that uh, there's no God that we've got to answer to. You're, you're helping uh, keep this whole idea going by keeping quiet. In verse 3, God provides for Elijah's needs. This is kind of where, uh, I think it was George Whitfield. I think I had this down here. But I thought I had it. I guess not. Oh, yeah, I did. Uh, I'm immortal until my work is finished. We've heard uh, phrases like that before. But here we see an example of that, where Elijah uh, does this and puts his life at risk, but you know, he's, this is, God takes care of him just as easily as he ever has. Until it's time for Elijah to leave this earth, Elijah's uh, going to be taken care of. And of course, we know we have those same promises. And so he provides for Elijah's needs, uh, but we need to be, make sure that we don't use this as a proof text that he'll provide for me like he did for Elijah. Sometimes we have to be careful about boxing God up and saying, well, God says he'll provide wherever he takes me, where God guides, he provides. Well, he might provide, he's going to provide for you. But it might not be in the way that you want it. It might not be where, you, it might be where you go hungry or something. It might be where you're in danger. It might be where you will eventually be martyred. Right? Obviously, that's taking the place. So he takes care of you, but we got to understand this in a spiritual sense. That God will sustain me, and he will use me until that time where he wants to take me home. And not to think that um, he will always give me a good job and good health, and, and uh, all my kids will uh, live longer than me, and all that kind of stuff. Because it might not happen. And we got to be careful there. We're not going to all suffer the same way. So by removing Elijah, though, from the public here, God is also sending another judgment upon Israel because it's a gracious warning when God sends prophets to tell them the word of God. But now he's removing Elijah for three and a half years. And now there's darkness descends upon the nation because they rejected Elijah. And so so this kind of was foretold. This is actually a little bit later, I think, than Elijah, but same principle, behold the days are coming, declares the Lord, God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. That's a famine. That's a worse famine than, than food and drink, right? If you think about it. We don't, our bodies don't like to think of it that way, but it's the truth. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Because it's too late. You, know, you should have sought the Lord while he could be found. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people, and this is, of course, in Proverbs 29, uh, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And, it, and, it's, and it's a, Basically, it's a, it's a way of saying where there is no preaching, where there is no proclamation of the word of God, no teaching of God's word. What happens? Well, the people just throw off restraint because uh, the word of God is not being taught. They have no light. And if anything is being played over and over again in, in, in uh, Western society, it's this, right? That what happens when 
all thoughts of God removed. You, you see people acting like animals. It, it's so sad to see this. And, and, but, it, but all it takes is one generation of you not teaching your children the word of God. And that's what happens. <clears throat> and of course it's unfortunate when we as Christians have his word and don't take it all that seriously. You know, we don't read it like we should. We don't, we don't, even when we know it, we don't obey it. Um, I was reading about a college professor in, in a uh, Ivy League school. I'm not sure which one it was. He was uh, in a lecture, and uh, there's some of the some students. You know, if you ever been to school, you know that sometimes students like to get the teacher off on a rabbit trail. They would get bored, so they ask a question that gets it completely off. And a good teacher will see that. And, Sometimes they get caught up in it. Well, that's what they did. They they asked him. It was a theology class, uh, and of course it was a completely liberal school. But they um, asked him about what what is your opinion about the first four chapters of Rome, Romans? <clears throat> and uh, there, because the guy relating the story was was a, was sound, they said this professor starts going off on what the first four chapters of Romans were teaching about sin. About there's only uh, one way to have your sins forgiven. That's in the Jesus and his sacrifice. And just did a what he thought was one of the best, not only expositions of those chapters, but presentations of the, what they mean with the gospel. And finally, a Jewish student uh, pipes up and says, uh, "You don't really believe that, do you?" And he says, "Well, no, I don't believe any of that." But you ask me what it, what Paul was teaching. So he had the Bible, he had Romans, he had the Gospel, but he didn't believe it. He, he despised Romans. And I thought, this is amazing that someone can understand what the Bible says, but they don't, no more going to believe it than the man on the moon. So we don't want to be like that. Well, one thing to kind of cover before we, we end up here, and that is, uh, you remember when we went through the book of Revelation, I said that when uh, in chapter 12, where the church was, uh, Satan turns, it, uh, the dragon turns attention on the people of God, the church, and God takes them out into the wilderness for three and a half years so that they were protected. And that this is really, it comes from among some other places, but primarily from our account here where Elijah is taken away and protected for three and a half years from those who would kill him. And so, you know, John uses that in Revelation, in his vision, uh, not to say that there's going to be a, a, a seven-year tribulation in three and a half years, the church is going to be protected, or whoever's saved at that time, and then they're not and all that. It's, it's speaking about our, the day and age in which we live now, where the three and a half years are, speak of the the age of the Gentiles, you might say, when the church is uh, going forth and preaching and being persecuted. And yet the Lord sustains us and the Lord protects us. But here's where it comes from, right? And it, and it should be pretty obvious why. Um, because Elijah receives special care. Just like the Lord sustains us, he will not allow the world to, to uh, destroy the church. It doesn't mean that People won't be martyred, but the church goes forth, right? The Lord takes care of us because we're being fed 
by something that the world doesn't understand. We have the word of God. And uh, so while the world is a dying in its sins and its darkness, we are being sustained, not supernaturally, God gives us food and, and drink and so forth. We're being sustained by the word of God. He's taking care of us. And uh, so I think this is I think this is why this is such a great example of the age in which we live in now. But um, if we're going to be sustained during spiritually spirit perilous times, we have to do what what Elijah did. He had to go where God tells him to go if he wants to be fed. And where does God tell us to go in this age so that we might be fed? Well, in one sense, to the word. But I think we can make it make it another application in that he has ordained the local church. That's the place where I go to be fed. Doesn't mean you can't be fed apart, you know, you know, in your own personal study. But that's the primary way where you're fed. If you make light of the church, then I don't think you can expect the Lord to bless you and to feed you because this is where the heavenly manna and the living water is uh, systematically taught. And so, uh, he might not take care of us uh, the way he does the world in a lot of ways. And certainly, you know, ravens were unclean animals. So, you know, Elijah wouldn't have seen this coming, that, that God would have fed him through unclean animals. But that's the way God took care of him. And then we'll see here next week that he's going to send him uh, to a Gentile widow to be fed for a while. And of course she would be considered unclean. And, and, and Elijah would have never done that. Had not the Lord told him to do that. So expect God to lead us in ways that we don't necessarily see coming. Or that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. But you know, if we, as we obey the word of God. That's what will happen. Because we march to the orders of another king. And we can't expect to be fed. In the places that the world feeds itself, we're going to be fed through the word of God. Ultimately, Christ is that heavenly bread and living water where the church finds its only source. And so, while we live in the wilderness, we do not suffer from the drought all around us because we have, God has given us sustenance. So I'll close with this, a little stanza written by uh, John Henry Livingston, who was a Big names uh, back in the revolutionary days, I, I know that, but I think he was a, a pastor for a while. But He says, to find my place within the veil, to know that God is mine, are springs of joy that will not fail, unspeakable, divine. And so, it's the springs of joy are behind the veil, that are with God. And that's what we need, and he understood that, and, and that's all he needs, and I hope that's all. We need as well is to have his word. Uh, any questions or comments in before we close? Yes, Jeff. Yeah, oh yeah. I gave you a warning. I did everything I could and yeah. you know, how how different is his ways over ours.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray for blessings today, and Lord, we ask for your blessings upon those who are not here. We know some are away, and we just ask, Lord, any who might be sick or uh, have problems, that you might watch over them and strengthen them and take care of their needs, we pray. And may we have a good service where the Word of God sustains us and that we can serve and honor you as we should. In Jesus' name we pray.